Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff. You know, when you do uh, a job like this, if you want to call it a job, it, uh, it requires due diligence. And one time I was doing that due diligence and I came across this podcast. I was researching on a guest we had a little while back, Vance Johnson. And the episode when Vance Johnson appeared on That Sober Guy podcast uh, was something that I found. And I listened to it and I went down a rabbit hole uh, on this guy's work. His name is Shane Raymer. Uh, he's got uh, just this authentic charisma that's contagious, uh, and it's 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 something that you want to catch, whether you're in recovery or not. So I want you to dig in and enjoy this. We talk about everything about he, about him being a kid from the Bay Area, growing up, uh, cheering for the Bash Brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. To you know, he's a kid with the light in his eye, right? He's excited. He has goals, and then. Um, he's working at a job where he's starts to cry, um, in the middle of his day because he feels hopeless and, uh, he's drinking, you know, Red Bull and vodka on the way to work and, uh, and so on and so forth. And worse than that. And, uh, his message is unbelievable. The guy I think is eight or nine years sober. Um, but you talk to him today, it's like, he's somebody with a, a good 40, 50 years of recovery. Um, eight years is a long time, man, but this guy talks he talks like an old-timer. All right, enough out of me. Uh, let's get to Shane. Actually, let's get to Kevin Souza first. Me. Shane. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? What's up, dude? How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, man. It's Friday, man. I'm I'm uh I'm ready to go. You know, <laughs> ready to do the thing. <laughs> and and you're an early morning guy. I am. I am. I've been getting to bed uh a little later though, man. I'm I'm managing my son's little league team right now. So we've had these late games at like seven. So we didn't get in until almost nine last night and then ate some pizza and hung out for a little bit. So uh, I've been, you know, I've been waking up, sleeping in a little bit, but, you know, we're good. <laughs> how's we're the team? How's yeah. the team? How are we doing? <laughs> they're seven and eight, so it's like herding cats, but they're doing much better. <laughs> yeah. I, I like they're that. It's like a goat rodeo, rodeo right? It, it, a goat rodeo is a great way to put it. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, they're getting better, though, so it's fun. My, my son's just, he's having a blast. And like I told him, I said, hey, it's, it's not so much, obviously, we're learning baseball. But we're coming together as a team. We're hanging out. We're having fun. You know, we're making new friends and stuff. So it's, it's been a good time. Dude, think about And, you know, we'll get right into it. First of all, how it's going to go. Yeah. It's me and you and Mike, the producer. Mike, say what's up. Hey, how's it going? Mike, what's up, man? Good <laughs> uh, to meet you. <laughs> yeah, Shane, by the way, how do you say your last name? Raymer. Raymer, okay. Raymer, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why they took the Y out of it, but, uh, yeah, so for some reason they did. Same with me. I'm Sousa. But you're kind of you're supposed to pronounce it Souza, and somebody at, at some point uh, in time took the Z out and threw an S in there, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. 
Um, so y- y- I'll give an intro as to who you are, you know, that sober guy podcast and a little bit about yeah. just kind of what you're doing and, and how I found you, you know, how you inspired me and how we got here. And then, uh, we'll just go right into this combo. Awesome. This sounds fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So are you, are you still in, in Northern California? I am. Yeah. We just came back up here in December. We went down to Huntington beach for about a, almost a year last year. And then, uh, we came back up here at the end of the year. So you're married and you got two, two kids. Yep. Yep. Married, uh, two kids, um, a cat and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The animals start yeah. to multiply. I got a couple, I, I've inherited a couple cats. I, I had a dog and another dog. It's kind of the more the merrier, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's always true. It's like my, my daughter and my wife, like, well, we want a cat. And, you know, I'm like, no, we're not getting a cat. Sure shit. Here, here comes the cat rolling in, you know, like a couple of weeks later. So, Dude, I, I the cat's the coolest one for, for me. I, I was always like, you know, Agreed. yeah. And we talk about yeah. the vulnerability, right? And, and we'll get to that. But it's like, you know, you want to be this tough guy that hangs out with a pit bull. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm huddled up w- w- with the cat uh, being like, man, this is my, this is my spirit animal. Dude, I love it, and yeah, the, the cat. We the, our cat's a Chinese cat, and I, it's uh, so she's super smart, and she's kind of funny. But you just reminded me of an, we have a little white fluffy dog. You reminded me of an old, old podcast I did called "Does It Make You a Pussy to Walk Down the Street with a Little White Dog?" <laughs> you, you, you reminded me of the pit bull. You know, you want to have the big pit bull and shit. It's like, no, I don't. I don't do that. The white dog is fine. Well, that and that's the thing, dude. Right? When at what point are you going to be comfortable in your own skin? Yeah. Ah, I love it. That's so good. Yep. You know, That's it. That's what it's about. And you're comfortable in your own skin, but your journey started. You grew up You grew up in Northern California. Is that right? I did. I did, yeah. Um, Solano County, Napa, Vallejo, Fairfield, and up. we're in Vacaville now. Okay, so, so close, close to like San Fran around there. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's considered like East Bay Area. It's probably about as far east as you'll get before it starts to not be the Bay Area. Okay. And, and you say growing up uh, in your household, it, it, you said it was madness sometimes. Like, dive into that with me. Man, yeah. It, you know, it was uh, – I would describe it as controlled chaos almost. You know, my, my, my dad had control of everything. But um, what's funny is at the same time, I don't think he could control himself. You know, so um, – there, there was a lot of uh, unpredictability, I think is a good way to put it. So what it did for me as a kid is I was just always on edge, man. Like, because um, you never knew when you came home if it was going to be a good vibe, if, you know, my, my dad was going to be listening to music and he was always having some drinks, you know, but there could be that vibe that like music and him and mom were getting along good and like everything was cool. Or it could be the complete opposite. You come home from school and it's just like, it's just chaos, you know? And like, he's in a bad mood and like, every, you can't do anything right, you know? Like, uh, so so the unpredictability, I think, it made me become a runner at a really young age where I learned to, to run from things, you know? I, I didn't know how uh, to deal with emotion, to deal with feeling. Um, and that's something I still struggle with, with today. You know, I continue to do um, you know, work and practice on that, on the ability to be able to feel my feelings. And that's probably why I drank, you know, um, yeah. and, and did other substances to, to kind of suppress a lot of that stuff. But, Dude, I, I grew up yeah, in a I similar hope- environment. My, my dad was, he was a functional alcoholic. 
but the moods yeah. were like really as a kid it's like how how the fuck are you keeping track of that you know and, yeah. and it's like it's so and and I see it in my own life today as as I still get uncomfortable by people that are like that seem like they're not in a good place you know like I yeah. noticed that it, it hit something inside me um and, and because and now at least it, I'm getting better in recovery, but for a while I would just dump alcohol in those feelings. So I was like, ah, like I'm tough. Like I don't, you know, I don't care. What do I care how you're acting? You know? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you can pick up on that too. Like you said, you, you can, you can feel that energy, you know, that vibe. Like when I talk to somebody who maybe I just meet, I can tell that they, that they have that. I can tell that they um, are actively drinking because, and even, even in the laugh, there's a certain laugh that comes out yeah. and, uh, and, it's, and it, this isn't like from a judgmental point of view at all, man. I, I, I try to give everyone respect and um, and try to be there, obviously, to help people and stuff. But you can pick up that vibe. You know what I mean? And it sounds like just from, from what you're saying in your childhood, too, you, you, you can pick that up, too. A lot of us can. Yeah, it's, le- it's a learned behavior. So for you, yep. you, you start to, you, again, you I, I, kind of similar, like you big into sports. Um and they kind of had like the just say no mentality, right? That, that for me, that was, uh, that's, I grew up in that, you know, I think I'm a little older than you, but yeah. it was like, drugs are bad, you know, like dare would come yeah. to school and it was, you, you just knew, you know, I was a product of yeah. the 80s pretty much going through my like grade school years and, you know, cocaine, I, I thought it was like this horrible, you know, just like the worst thing in yeah. the world. And all of a sudden it flipped so quickly. How did it, when did you yeah. start to, when, when did you start to go from, from the kid who was an athlete who had like, you know, no drugs. And then all of a sudden you're smoking yeah. pot, you're drinking. Yeah. It's funny. I, I do remember that just say no, um, you know, and dare remember dare. Mm-hmm. I actually think they still, they still do that uh, today, uh, that program. And um, you reminded me of the commercial too. This is your brain. This is yes. your brain on drugs. Yeah. And they crack the egg in the, in the frying pan. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so it's funny, man. I haven't I haven't thought of, about those campaigns, but at that time and in a long time, but as a kid, yeah, I totally had that mentality. And I also, I also, you know, I, I didn't want to go down the same path as my father was going down, you know. And I had to do a lot of work in that, man. I love my dad, but I gotta I gotta kind of love him from a distance and and pray for him and um, and understand that he's on his own path, just like we all are. Uh, but that was my big thing at the time. I wasn't going to go down that same path. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to smoke. I had some buddies in the neighborhood, and we all kind of made this pact that, like, we, we weren't going to do that. I, I played baseball, you know, since I was – I can't – since I can't even remember. And um, so, yeah, athlete, sports, um, you know, and I don't know – Are you, are you a Giant fan, like, a Giants fan or an A's fan? I'm an A's fan. I like the Bay Area. I like the Bay Area sports. I'm always down for any Bay Area sports. But, yeah, I've always kind of stuck uh, stuck tight with Oakland. Yeah, so you grew up like an A's fan, like McGuire, Canseco, those guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the basketball. But, you know, I I, I loved Will Clark and uh, and Robbie Thompson. I mean, I loved that whole squad of, like, that giant hair. I went to a lot of games at Candlestick back in the day. Um, so yeah, de- definitely. But I, I stick with the A's, although it's tough to be an A's fan right now. But, but you're loyal. I like that. I like that. And, and, yeah. and you know, dude, I got a bash brothers t-shirt just because I think it's cool. You know? Oh, no yeah. Way. yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, cause people don't understand this. Well, people do whatever. I, I almost say that, but like when we grew up, when we were growing up, baseball was really cool. 
Like, so being a yep. baseball player was cool. Like, the A's were cool. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. not to say that guys who play baseball today aren't real cool or whatever, but, like, uh, kids were watching, you know, it was kind of like the NBA is today almost. And that's changed. But it, so you grow up playing baseball. It, yeah, it, it totally has. There was definitely a different vibe on baseball, you know, back when we were growing up. I just feel like it, it's hard to it's hard to – to watch a specific team because it's become so much of a business uh-huh. and I understand, you know, I understand there's a lot of money involved in, in, you know, there's a lot of different components to it, but like right now I'm looking at I, my buddy founded a, um, at a swap me an old battle of the Bay Chevron poster where it's the Asian giants tugging on the pennant over oh, the wow. uh, Bay bridge. Wow. Yeah, man. So yeah. I have it up in my garage just like as a little, like, you know, a little keepsake just to remember that, uh, that moment, man, it was pretty damn cool. That was the earthquake. Here too, yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyways, man. Yeah. So it's just 89. I, I was trying to think of it. That was, that was 89, right? 89. Yeah. Yep. 89. Okay. 1989. Yeah. All right. So back, um, back to you. So you're playing baseball. Uh, and, yeah. and, and what happens? How do we drift into like starting to use? Yeah. I, so I can remember, I can remember the first time that I actually, uh, drank or at least one of the first times, it's a little foggy, but there was one in particular, um, in, and I, I was in a buddy's house and his older cousin was there and we were just kind of hanging out and he had a, he had a full bottle of Bacardi Le Mans. And, uh, and, and I remember drinking almost the whole bottle of it. And, and I remember I got so sick, I got so sick. And, um, at the same time, and I, and I know there's a lot of other, um, other dudes out there who've experienced this because I've heard similar stories and you no, know, we got sick. Like I got sick, but at the same time I got so warm and it made all those feelings of like unpredictable chaos, anger, um, frustration, uh, fear, sadness, it made everything go away. And I was actually kind of happy in the moment because I was goofy. And then I, and then, you know, before you know it, I'm throwing up and I, I feel like shit the next day. Um, but that moment of, of peace, I guess, of, well, I, I don't even want to say peace because peace would, would mean something different. It was actually more of a numbness. Uh-huh. I was numb and it just, it, it just felt good. And, and I think from that moment between, between those feelings of being able to run and just escape my feelings. And then um, also a combination of just being a young, confused um, kid, you know, who was uh, trying, you know, you, you submit to some peer pressure. I think you want to be cool. Like I wanted to be cool and fit in. And there were, there was people starting to smoke weed and drink. And so. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I felt like I, I kind of like, I, I had an all access pass to like, the popular kids. I mean, like, I hate to say that now. It even irks yeah, me to say no, it now. You. But once I started yeah. to drink, I mean, same as you, I had this one night where I drank this bottle of J&B with a couple dudes. And, mm. you know, I was sick and they drew all over me. And, uh, you know, but I was like a, a whole a part of a whole nother crowd of guys uh, that I, you yeah. know, ran with, you know, for a very long time. And uh, there was something like you said, yep. there, I, there's, there's a confused little kid aspect to it as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's man. So, so much confusion. And like, um, I, I don't know if, if, if some of the dudes that you hung out with were like fellow athletes and buddies that you sure. played sports with, but that's like our baseball team. Like I played high school baseball and you know, that's, we, we played ball and then we all hung out and partied after the game. Some of my, my buddy Rick, you know, we'd go to his, his spot afterwards and he had kind of the party spot. So we'd, 
we'd all hang out on the weekends or we'd go to the park and get a couple cases of Natty Ice and just hang out and drink yeah. beers. And, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of like, I hate to say it, but man, it was kind of fun. Sure. Time. You know, it was still fun. I wasn't getting in trouble. Like it, I wasn't addicted to it, but it was definitely the start of going down this path that, um, you know, that, that took me in, in the wrong direction in my life that I wanted to go. Describe some of your p- progression to me in addiction. Like, how did it go? Um, yeah, I think, um, well, I, I, so I, I always smoked a lot of pot, you know, that was always there, but um, alcohol was always the foundation. You know, there, there seemed to be always alcohol around, um, which when I would drink alcohol started leading as I got into my twenties, um, some other, other drugs like yeah. cocaine. And I, I tried some other, some other drugs. A lot of, you know, uh, pills were, were starting to get big around that time too. Yeah. Um, so I would kind of just, I was kind of, I would kind of do what was around, you know, I had a lot of different friends and different groups and, um, you know, people had different access to different things. And, um, my, twenties were just like insane with my, my, so my wife, Jess and I, we've known each other since the sixth grade. No I way. I had a crush on her. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, man. She's, she's such a, she's a cool chick. And like, we've been friends for a long time. We didn't end up getting together till I was about 20 or 21. And, um, uh, but in our twenties, I mean, it was just, it was just one big party. You know, we, we worked, um, I'm also like an amateur musician. I, I love playing music. Yeah, I, I saw that about you. Yeah. So I, I was in a lot of bands and, um, you know, just I, I, I kind of had this dream to, to be in the music business. And um, but I had no concept of like when I, I, that's why I just said music business. I had no concept of the business part of it. It was just like, hey, you're supposed to like get hammered and like, you know, party and like make music and not so. And then just magically there's like this record fairy that comes down and just like grants you this record deal and you're rich and famous. It was just like totally this huge amateur, like dreamy kind of thing. Dude, you know? when I, and, when uh, I was in like the throes of my addiction early on and I was doing a lot of Coke and I was, I had a job, I had a pretty good job. And, but I was obsessed uh-huh. with, with starting a record label. Like ask me what no I knew, what I, but, but hold on now, ask me what I knew about starting a record <laughs> label. I didn't know shit. I just knew you got to go up like guys in the record labels were the, were the guys in the pictures, you know, with the rappers. I, it was, yeah. I was out of my mind, but like I had, I can relate to that. You know, whatever it is, pe- whether it's people yeah. working in the restaurant industry or being in the movies or being whatever, uh, like a lot of times as an alcoholic, your dreams um, kind yeah. of rotate around access to that shit, you know? Totally. We, and you know, you know what I've realized, um, um, Pete, like, especially in the last, like maybe year two years is that a lot of that came and comes from this deep desire to feel wanted and needed and seen because as a kid, I was so, my self-worth and confidence was so low um, just because of fear and just because of just everything that, you know, was, was going on, um, that there, there was just this, there was a level of insecurity that was, that was really, really deep. And so I think that I thought I had something to prove, you know, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with, yeah. you know, us as men having something to prove and being driven and wanting to work hard and go get it. Like I, I absolutely support that, but it has to come from a healthy place. Yeah, like what's your and motivation? Like I was, yeah, what's your motivation behind it? And my motivation behind it at that time was just like, I didn't really know. I just knew that I needed to be 
like seen, you know, I wanted to be heard, you know? And so um, that kind of led me down. I went to, was big into the punk rock music scene and like hardcore, like, like um, different underground hardcore, like metal um, and punk shows. And, and, uh, and the one thing that that was amazing though, at that time, even though as the drinking and, and drugs and stuff started to progress, like I found this, this place called the mosh pit where I could get out all that animosity. And so like my teens and I, I, we have some friends of ours from Vacaville here. They're a band called Papa Roach. And, um, Oh yeah. Really? So those are your guys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. My buddy Dave, um, he's, he's a great dude. He's, and, um, he's just, uh, and they were, they, they were big. They kind of hit when we were growing up, like at least like, you know, on the, the pop culture level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did. And so I think that we, we saw them here, you know, as friends and stuff like, oh, man, like, dude, they, they made it like and they're still actually going strong, which is pretty damn amazing. Yeah, for, that is cool. Um, you know, the music business. But um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we th- those those times, um, you know, I remember my buddy Ray took me to my first. It was Papa Roach and it, it was a buddy of mine, uh, uh, Chris and uh, Absolute. And it was this little hole in the wall show in Vacaville, super small. And, um, and they, and they were just getting, there was this little small circle mosh pit going on. And I, I kind of didn't know what to do. I think we were like 14, 15, maybe. And, and my buddy Ray kind of leans in and he goes, Hey, you got to just let go. You got to just let go. And so I was like, what? And in that moment, I just, I did, I kind of let go and I started like moshing for the first time and boom, it was just like, I'll just let go of all that shit. And so I had, had a lot of good times in that, but as that went on, man, through my twenties and I was working construction and, you know, I was commuting and work hard, party hard. What what, what was it? What's that scene? What's that scene like? Like that punk rock scene, like drug wise? Oh man. Well, well back then, um, back then I think you know, alcohol was always a foundation because a lot of the time shows were at bars, you know, and in different venues like that. And even in the other bigger venues, um, you know, they, they sold alcohol, but, uh, back then, yeah, it was, it was Coke, um, weed pills. Um, there was a lot, see, I never got into to heroin, uh-huh. um, but I think there was a lot of dudes like, like Nick Trainer was a, was someone who I really looked up, up to back in the day. He was the, um, the lead singer for a band called link 80. And uh, Danielle Steele, the writer, is actually uh, his mom. Wow. uh, Unfortunately, yeah, it's a really cool story. She wrote a great book called His Bright Light. Yeah. And um, it talks about Nick and and Nick's story um, as a kid and growing up and starting the band and, like, touring the world. And then he was a manic depressant, and he also got hooked on heroin. And so, um, you know, he, he he ended up losing his life to that. Um, you know, at a super young age, I think he was in his early twenties and just a lot of potential. And so we, you know, we hear a lot of those stories like yeah. that, in, especially in the, in the music business, um, uh, in particular. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the scene was, it was hardcore, man. It was, it, yeah, it was hardcore and it depended on, you know, where, where you went, but I will say this though, too, contrary to that, I got a good buddy of mine, uh, uh, Justin Coot, who was in a band called execution style. And the straight edge scene of hardcore kids, I wish I would have been a part of that at that time. Yeah, no, straight edge, define straight edge. Yeah, it was just a huge straight. So the straight edge kids, man, they didn't, they, they didn't believe in, um, in drugs, alcohol, um, sex. A lot of them didn't have premarital sex. Um, there were strict guidelines if you were a straight edge kid and you 
you stuck to it. It was a solid brotherhood. There's still a huge straight edge movement out there today. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not really hip to it as far as, um, you know, cause this is, this was years ago for me in that <laughs> scene, but, um, I know that movement is huge. And, and all, all those kids that I met back in the day, man, they they were always about the brotherhood, about the, um, like, like a, a tight community. And we, we don't mess with that. Kind yeah. of stuff. So I wish I, I wish if I could go back, I'd probably go down that route. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, you know, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we do things for a reason, I guess. I wouldn't be where I am today, I guess. I no, guess. and you're helping a shitload of yeah. people. And you were mentioning, so a guy, Justin, came out of that scene, out of the straight edge scene? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy Justin, he was actually on the podcast like early on when I first started it, probably the first 20 or 30 episodes. And um, yeah, he just, uh, you know, he just chose. When we were probably 15, 16, him and I and um, a couple other buddies, you know, we, we would sit up in his room and we'd play play drums and like sing and like drink 40s and stuff. And then I don't know, it must have been around 17 or 18 for him. Um, he just decided like, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. And he went straight edge and he just he went down a different different path. Still stayed in the music scene, but just was more encompassed in in that scene versus like the party scene. So for you, when you're when you're dealing with like you're you're in your 20s, you're working construction. Is there zero direction? Like, are, are you kind of live? Are you kind of working and living to get you know Man. to do drugs and party? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember one day being in San Francisco, and so I'm I'm a, a a taper, a drywall finisher by trade, right? Like back in the day, that's that's what I did during this time in my twenties, and um, so I was commuting up early in the morning, you know, driving out to the city, about an hour drive without traffic. Um, and I remember being in this, uh, we were working in, in a high rise condo building. And so it's like cookie cutter. Each, each condo or apartment is pretty much exactly the same. And you got multiple floors and you're going down a floor and we call it sanding lids. And so you got your sanding pole and you're sitting there and you got it. You got a dust mask on if you, if you want to wear it, but it's hot and sweaty. So I, a lot of the time I had to take mine off cause it's hard to even breathe. But you're up there and you're sanding ceilings all day for eight hours a day for the most part. What? And I remember sitting there and, and literally crying. Like, not, I mean, I'm not talking about bawling out, but just like getting choked up and crying, hungover and going, God, I know there's something more for my life. Like, I, I know there is, but I, I just, I, I felt so stuck. You know, I, because I was actually making kind of decent money at that uh -huh. time. I was probably halfway through my apprenticeship. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I think you put it well. I was kind of living um, to party because we, we were drinking on every night, you know, um, after work, on the way home from work. And then the weekends were, you know, a party. And then it was like, boom, do it all over again. Yeah, I mean, and, this is uh, this is addiction. Yeah. So this, these are all my questions 100%. are based on experience, right? I mean, like I, there was a point in time in my life where I had, I mean, I I took a job that I didn't, really didn't even want, but my parents were like, "Hey, you you need to get a job." It was right out of college, and I, and I, you know, I I don't even know. I remember I I spelled I was like working as an assistant for some dude, and I spelled my name wrong, my own name on a fax mm. on a fax like cover letter, and the guy was like, "Dude, you spelled your name wrong," and so like, and I was just every, yeah, every night. I mean, it was just every night I would go out and party, and it's and it's funny because I, that's what this stuff does. It robs us. You know, I had goals, dude. I mean, I had things mm. I wanted to do. I had things that turned the light on. 
when I was younger yeah. and, uh, and, and, and alcohol and drugs, it just turned that, sh- that light off. And I thought yep. that, I mean, I thought the most important thing in my life, there's no question about it was alcohol and drugs. And it, every, my every move for me was predicated on that stuff, you know? Um, yep. and it sounds like yep. it was for you too. Now you're doing the, the, the drywall and, and like, you're still like in the music scene what what starts to happen is and when we start to like bottom out. I mean, you mentioned that moment, that emotional moment you just shared. Yeah, so I I ended up getting out of construction at some. At, I journeyed out, and then um, I just I saw what it was doing to the older guys that I was working with. They were just miserable. You know, they just they hated their lives. It seemed like um, most of them were alcoholics. Um, and so I kind of, I got laid off because work was just really slow at this time. And so I was kind of bouncing around between companies and I just made the decision that I was going to get out of that. And I was going to, I was, I almost went back to school actually at the time. And then I ended up getting, um, I ended up getting a temporary job with, um, with the, the, the big energy company out in, uh, in California that supplies energy and gas to the state. And it was just a temp in, in the mail, in the mail room. Um, and so as it, it, as it progresses, I'll kind of like, so it's, and I can remember this so, so clear. Um, it's like the middle of summer. I think it's like August. It's 102 degrees. Um, at least, you know, it's just one yeah. of those hot ass days, like hundred plus. Right. Um, I'm driving to work. Like I got a little single cab stick shift, uh, Chevy S10, like no AC. I'm sweating. Um, and I'm, I'm, I stopped by the liquor store, like the same one. And I grabbed my usual, this is on the way to work. on the way. Okay. Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm racing down interstate 80, you know, towards Sacramento. I pour a, a strong, you know, mix. And I've always put it in like a McDonald's cup, uh-huh. you know, with a straw. Yeah. And then I, I drink it as fast as I can before I get to work right now. This is just another Wednesday at yeah. like one in the afternoon. I'm working a swing shift in the mail room as a machine operator, like on a, you know, on a, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, what started as a temp job. Um, but this same situation had literally been happening like every day for months, you know, as, as this had kind of gone on. And, and, and those are doors and, we walk through, right? It's like, now you're drinking before work. Like, you know, like before. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's like now, like you said, it's just another day. So go ahead. So you, 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 you well, and, whack this shit down. Yeah, and, and that was to your point, the progression of it. Because I wasn't yeah. really doing that when I was doing drywall. I, I was hung over a lot. And I think we did some coke here and there to like, try to like get the, the day moving. Yeah. But like it was never like, you know, um, it was always doctor work at least. But um, yeah, and like, you know, like I said, I, I swore up and down I was never going to do this. And like as a kid, like my home life growing up and stuff, you know, I, I'd watched it, seen what it did to my dad. And like... So here, like here, I am. I'm 32 years old around that time. I think, yeah. My my daughter's like two and a half, three. You know, uh, I'm married at the time. I'm miserable in this job. I'm miserable in my skin. I'm scared to be a father. Uh, my relationship with my wife was like really on the rocks at that time. It's really going in the wrong direction because we don't know how to communicate. Yeah. My self worth, my confidence, like all time low. Um, I'm feeling pretty lost pretty frustrated like i have no purpose it's like what what is this all for but the one thing that makes all the feelings go away is alcohol right and at the same time i know in my gut that god has something more 
for my life. And I knew I could be a better father. I wanted to be a better husband, father. I just wanted to be a better man, like a human being, like it just, there was something more, but I couldn't stop drinking. Like I literally could not stop drinking. Like every day was the same thing. You know, it was like, I'm going to quit today. And then boom, I'd stop at that same liquor store. So w- one night after work, I'm, I'm up drinking. This is, um, you know, and I'm sm- I smoked weed at the time too. So I'm smoking like a fat plant in the garage. And, um, and I don't remember if my, if my daughter came out, maybe she was saying goodnight or you know something, but she opens the garage door and, um, and she says, Hey daddy. And I said, Hey baby girl. I said, what's going on? And she looked right at me and she said, it smells like evil in here. And she turned around and closed the door. <laughs> and, oh. and I thought like, I thought somebody just socked me right in my gut. Um, and, and in that moment, I realized that I was following um, down the same, the same path that my dad went down. I was carrying on that generational curse to my daughter, yeah, to our family. And, and I was really becoming everything that I had never wanted to be. You know, everything that I swore that I was not going to do. We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. You know, not not too. I didn't do this immediately, but not too long after that, I, I it was it was time to make a decision. You know, and there were some other factors in my life. So I had a friend who got in a really bad, that I did music with, who got in a, a a really bad car accident and almost died around that time. He's in a coma for fifty two days. So you're doing and a so lot I'm of like reflection there, and stuff. A ton of it, a ton of reflection, a lot of God shots, and just like you know, that could have been me. What you know? Why am I here? How did I get here? Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I ended up reaching out for some help and, um, what's the conversation I, I like with your, with your wife? Like when you tell her, like, I, I need help, oh, man, it was over like a, a, a large cup of vodka with a splash of orange juice, <laughs> <laughs> whatever gets you bar. there. <laughs> yeah. At a bar here in Vacaville. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I just told her, I said, look, she knew, she knew something was up too, because my behavior and my, um, you know, we were, we were fighting a lot, you know, we just, we, could, we weren't getting along and there's a lot of stress, a lot of financial stress going on, you know, or broke or lights are getting shut off. Like, you know, it was just, it was a tough time. And, um, I just, I just kind of came out and told her, I said, look, like, um, I have a problem, you know, and I need some help. And I can't do this on my own. You know, one, one thing I left out is um, I had tried to stop, you know, many times um, in the years leading up to that. But it was never a serious attempt. And it was always an attempt to do it on my own. And so I'd put together like a week, you know, or I'd just smoke weed for like a couple weeks. And then I'm not going to drink, you know, and, th- and then I'd go back to it. Um, and there was never any accountability there. There was never a full commitment. Um, and so this time felt different. And uh, th- thank God, you know, um, my my wife is one of the most supportive people I know. Like if you're if you're about it, she's got your back. You know, if you're one of her people, her family, her friends. And uh, she said, okay, well, I knew something was up. And what do we need to do? You know, what what's next? And um, I went to my buddy Seth too at that. I think later that day, um, and I met up with him. And he had been sober sober for about a year. We've all known each other since we were kids. And um, so I kind of had Seth to helped lead the way I saw that he was doing it. And so I thought, man, if Seth can do it, I can do it. Um, and that was inspiring to me. And, uh, 
so yeah, I, I, I went, I got some help um, in Sebastopol, California. Um, I went to a 30 day. Okay. You went to a treatment. Uh, yeah. I went to a 30 day inpatient uh, uh, treatment. Um, and uh, man, I haven't looked back, man. It's been over eight years. Uh, September 11th, 2013 was, was my, uh, is my uh, sober gate. And uh, man, it's, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but I, I just, some days I can't believe the life that we have today um, versus what it looked like, you know, eight and a half years ago. Um, it's, it's pretty damn amazing. And it all started with the decision to cut out alcohol, you know, because I always say alcohol is not my problem. That's the solution. I was listening to, to actually to the, the latest podcast you did with Kevin E. And, and you guys talked about that a little bit about how alcohol is not the problem. And I, I wish I could, I wish like to help fast track some dudes out there who might be listening to this or, or know somebody we get so focused and centralized that I'm an alcoholic or I'm not an alcoholic or I just have a problem or the alcohol is the issue. And yes, that's the face of the issue. No doubt. I have an issue with alcohol. I don't plan to ever drink it again because it messes with me. But the problem is me. The problem is my inability to feel and my inability to deal with life on life's terms, not Shane Raymer's terms. You know, so the, the moment that I cut that out and I started to reshape the way I think, the way I, the way I act, the things that, I, the way that I live my life, um, you know, over time things started to change and I, I took advice and, um, man, it's, it's been, it's been a great ride, man. <laughs> I mean, you, I, yeah, I it, it's, to learn, man. it's coming off. It comes off you, dude, when you talk and you know, you can, you can hear it in your voice and you can feel the passion but I imagine it wasn't like that, you know, September 11th of 2013, no. uh, right? I mean, <laughs> I know for me, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I showed up, I showed up in rehab, kind of like, I, and I like what you said about a lot of times, you know, if you're out there and you're listening, like, don't beat yourself up if if you tell somebody you need help over a couple drinks, yeah. uh, or or you know, again, like I was joking, but I was serious, right? Like, whatever gets you there, yeah. Um, yeah. Wh whatever gets you there, as long as you get there. And, and, and when you got to, got to treatment, did you notice? Cause I, one thing I noted when we were talking about the straight edge guys, uh, is that, that camaraderie that they shared. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. that's what we get, uh, in, in, in a, in, in a program. Um, that's what we get. It's almost like a locker room again. Um, and did, did you, yeah. did you find that when you, when you started, I, I know I did, um, when you started yeah. to come around. I did, I did, and that, and that, that's that, that fellowship, that birth of community that I learned, you know, early on, and, and just to, to your point, real quick, no, it absolutely did not look like it looked like that. I remember <laughs> the first couple days in, I was in this detox room, right? It's probably day two, um, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm thrown back, like, how in the shit did I get here? Like, I was supposed to do this, I was, now I'm in rehab. Like, what the hell is going on? And I remember being in the bathroom, butt ass naked, about to take it. The shower's going. And this is, like I said, like day two. And I just break down and I'm just bawling like a, like a, like a baby. And I'm just saying, like, oh my God, like how my, you know, my wife's back at home. We're in debt, hella bad. Like my daughter, you know, I, I miss the shit out of them. I feel like an asshole because I, I left them. But I know at the same time that, like, if I didn't make this decision, like our lives were just, 
going to continue going on worse. And, um, you know, so I'm having like these, these kind of revelations and these, like, um, these moments. And when I look back on that now, the way I see it now is that God literally stripped me butt ass naked and put me in an uncomfortable position and, and totally had to strip me of everything in order to build back up, you know, to, to, to something that I knew, um, was, was like I mentioned earlier that there was something better for my life and not just for my life, but for my daughter, for my son now, for my wife, for our family to break that curse. And so as I went on through the 30 days, um, you know, and, and really that was the, that was kind of the easy part. It was the hard part going back home, but those 30 days, yeah, I, I found some great, um, some great fellowship in there with some other dudes who were going through some of the same shit who were from all different backgrounds and different races and different religions and different, just different, different culture, man. And we all had this one thing in common. We struggled with alcohol and drugs, man. And it, it just, it really made, there's a lot of group therapy, which was great. Um, a lot of individual therapy, a lot of, of ways to deal. And then just for like a schedule too, you know, a schedule. Yeah. Like we had chores and try to get back on track on, on having some self-worth. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a good experience. It was scary at first, but, um, you know, it was it was definitely a pivotal moment like in, in my life and in our family's life to kind of make that decision. But, you know, my, my uh, experience was similar to yours, again, in a sense where, you know, that's why – for me, I needed to go somewhere because, because yeah. when you have those moments, I mean, I, cause I tried too. like, you know, I would go to 12 step and, and I would, and I would get into it and then I would bounce. Um, and then, or yeah. I would, or I would go and I would, you know, not drink, but still, but smoke weed. It's just, you're always, you know, messing around. And, uh, yeah. I was never all in. And then, so I go to treatment and, you know, when you have those moments like you shared, when you're, ba you're basically stripped naked and totally vulnerable, you know, for yeah. you literally, right? I mean, like, yeah. it's like those are a lot, those are times when if I didn't have four walls and structure all around me, I probably would have drank or taken something or oh, what, yeah. whatever I yeah. could have, right? Just like take to get a, just to, to just to check out. And I wasn't able yeah. to, and, and and that's why recovery houses are good too. Because again, like you mentioned, that camaraderie to be in in the mix um, with with yeah. other dudes that share the common bond. Again, I take it back to sports, right? It's like you you go into a locker room, and there's like all different walks of life, all different, like you said, races, religions. But the the common theme, hopefully, yeah. is winning, or or, or, or <laughs> exactly. right, or getting better. Yeah. And in in yeah. in recovery. We still get a chance to win. So you you come out of uh, of of rehab, and then what happens? Like, how do you start to pick up the pieces? Yeah, so I I, I was still at the same job at that time. Um, in the mailroom. Yeah, I think I'd taken a yeah. In, so in we're the full, mail room, now we're full time, operator. right? Yeah, I'm full time. Which is probably um, a pretty I'm good job. Full, I'm thinking, like, with this big yeah, energy company. It, it was it was a great job at the time. It changed the trajectory of everything for you know my career really because um, you know later I, I ended up uh, starting a podcasting within a Fortune 500 company, which is still what I you know work with today. Um, you know, and it started there. But at the time, I I hated it. You know, I was on a swing shift, which I hated because like we talked in the very beginning, I'm a morning dude. I yeah. like being up early. And, and also, I had a lot of those same routines 
on that swing shift where I was driving, that I explained earlier, where I was driving in, I would stop. And so having to go back into that environment was really tough at the time. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things that helped me is I had a lot of support from my wife, from my family. I had a lot of support from my buddy Seth, who I mentioned. Um, and then I had a lot of support from, um, from, from meetings and, um, and just being involved in that community of, of men and women, but in particularly men, I really love a good men's meeting. Um, and, uh, just, just trying to stay focused and dialed in and just trying to stay on a schedule, uh, um, and, and not go backwards, only go forwards. And, um, that about six months, about well yeah about six months in that time I, I was uh um eventually I got I got out of the mail room and I took a job out in Santa Rosa which was um like a four-hour commute total daily because it was about an hour and a half there and it was like two and a half home because of traffic and so I was working some long ass days yeah and that's how I started listening to podcasts on my commute. So this is back in 2013, early 2014. Okay. And my, bu- my buddy goes, Hey, why don't you check this podcast out called the new man by, by a guy named Trip Lanier. And I said, okay. I said, I didn't even know what the hell a podcast was at the time. I yeah. just heard like a friend of mine was a DJ. He had like a DJ podcast. That was the only thing I heard of it. So I started listening to this podcast and, and I'm like, man, this is, this is freaking great. And and Trip's an awesome dude, man. He's been on Sober Guy a couple of times. I've been on his show. What's uh, what's we, his we podcast became, called? Uh, the New Man. Okay. The New Man podcast. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's yeah, so, solid dude, man. You you would love him. Okay. And, uh, and so I'm uh I'm listening to Trip and um and I'm just starting to get motivated. I'm starting to feel this like this new desire and passion and um, yeah, it's the best feeling, dude. These yeah, it's so, man, it was so pure and just so genuine. And like, I feel this desire that I want to share my story and I want to help other people. Like, I'm like, man, I kept this secret for so long. I, I love the traditions and I love um, anonymity. I, I respect it 100%. Um, but outside of that, I also felt like I, I, I held on to the secret for so long that I wanted to share it. And I'm like, man, how am I going to help people if I got to like, like hide it, hide out again? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, I want people to know. And so long story short, I sat up in bed one night and, uh, and I was like, I said, Hey babe, she said, what? I said, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> she goes, what? You're, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> you're, you know, like, what do you mean? This is like six months out of, out of rehab. And I said, yeah, I, said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I had a lot of music equipment from my time as a musician. I couldn't uh-huh. really play music anymore. I wasn't vibing on it like I used to. And, um, and I saw kind of where the podcast game was going. I looked up. I only saw Dr. Drew. That was really the only person I could find that was really talking about, like, recovery. I think there was a there, there might have been a 12-step podcast. Maybe a couple other ones. Paul Gil Martin, I think, was one of them. But there wasn't a lot. Yeah. And, and so I said, man, hey, maybe there's a need here. What I'll do is I'll just share my story. It'll help keep me sober. And then maybe I can invite some friends on and stuff and have them share, you know, as they're working through their stuff. And so about a month, month and a half, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm like trying to, you know, figure out how I'm going to do this. And, um, I think I eventually came up with the name and, um, that sober guy podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, when I, I, like, I think I've underestimated the not being one of the, um, one of the foundations that's really helped to keep me going just because I love to do it so much. I love having conversations like this. Like, thank you so much. Again, oh, dude, yeah. for having Thanks me for on. joining me. This is great. And like, I, I just, I, I really do love, you know, the art of the conversation and the art of helping people and, and just sharing and, um, you know, being able to do that. And it, it filled, it filled a big void for me, I think, you know, um, the fact that I wasn't doing music anymore. I'm a creative dude. Like I'm, I'm an artist. I love um, creating stuff. And so the podcast kind of helped birth this new, this new way to be able to do that. Um, and, and then, you know, in addition to that, like I mentioned, I, I just had a ton of support from the people around me who were really rooting me on. And, um, you know, I think it was tough for a lot of people too. that were close to me because I wasn't the dude that was like, and my, my buddy Seth is cool with me saying this. I'm sure if you ever listened to this, like he, him and I were different. Like I wasn't the blackout yeah. drunk, you know, Seth more kind of was, went down that route. He, 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 it affected him a little bit differently the way he drank versus the way I drank. We drank together, but we were just different. A lot of people are like that. And like a lot of people couldn't see the inner struggle that was going on inside of my own mind and, and heart. And it was just, it was excruciating for me. Like yeah. inside, I was like my own worst enemy. But then you get people it's being like, hey, look, you're okay, right? You can have a drink. Yeah. And it's exactly. Yeah, for you me, I was bad. like Seth. <laughs> I was like Seth where it was like, everybody was like, yo, dude, thank God. Dude. But then like one of the, a dude I've had on here, one of my, you know, best friends forever, my buddy Murph, he was like you where he was like, hey, like, people were coming up to him like are you sure are you sure you know you sure? and he was like trust me i was by myself getting wasted doing drugs like you know uh, i just wasn't in yeah. front of everybody and it was soul yeah. crushing you know it sounds like you had a yeah. similar experience it, it was and i think that that goes back to that secrecy point i was talking about it was like if everything was starting to be by myself i want all the drugs i want all the liquor i want but i just want to hide out and do it by myself and when I did do it in front of people or when I was around other people, most of the time you wouldn't even know that I was on anything because I was, I was pretty damn functional. I knew how to handle and, and control it to an extent where I wouldn't really get out of hand. I mean, I got in fights and stuff, you know, for sure. Like sometimes, but um, it, it wasn't like I wasn't, you know, passing out in front of people. And I, 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 just, I, I never you held, you held a job. You held a job. Like crazy. That, that's a, a job. that's exactly. a big thing, right? Yeah. Like, oh well, if you you know you keep a job, then then you must be like you're you're, you're functional. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah, not. You're you don't need help. Yep, that's that stigma. Like the doorway of the homeless dude with the brown bag, and he lost everything. And okay, that's he must be an alcoholic. It's like, well, yeah, maybe. And I I, I feel for that dude, man. And and um, you know, with, right with that. There's thousands of other dudes who are doctors and construction workers and uh, working, you know, grocery. I mean, go down the list of like all different types of things that are struggling with this. It doesn't discriminate, you know. And so um, I think that's why I love like the work that you're doing, the work that I get to do, to work on having these conversations. And, um, you know, we, we do kind of help chip away at that stigma and help people understand that like 
there's just normal dudes out there who are going through this shit, you know, and the more we open up and talk about it, the easier it's going to be to help some people understand that. Like, hey, you're not alone in this, man. You know? No, and the, like, vul- the vulnerability, out there. the vulnerability feels good. Uh, and, 100%. and, and, and that's like something I was like you, like a runner. Like I didn't like, I, I thought if I was vulnerable, it was like a sign of failure. Like I thought if I told yeah. somebody I was hurting or there was something wrong with me, it was a real defect, uh, of character, mm-hmm. you know, now today, mm-hmm. not, yeah, yeah, it was a weakness, but yeah. now today, not telling somebody about something that is a defect of character that is my ego that you know being a tough guy uh it doesn't work out for me anymore and i you know there's certain (laughs) right there's certain instances today where i still you know it's just like well this is how a man is supposed to handle this and i end up in in a jackpot yep yep that's it how did you how did you build the podcast like how did you build it because and i'll tell you in a second how i came across but how'd you build it um, so you mean like build it like, like, uh, like, uh, like, like, like you, it out? You, no, I mean like, or, like just like the reputation, you know, the guests, oh, got you, like, got you. Okay. like the yeah. repetition, like, you know, to do something, uh, you know, you've been at this, what, for eight years? Yeah. About eight. Yeah. Eight years. I mean, you yep. know, and that's something I could never do as a drunk. I couldn't sustain shit. Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, so how, how but do you, you dream about it though? Right. But you would dream about shit. But we we dream about it, but we never take action on it when we're drinking. And I would lie about it too. I love to lie to people like shit I was doing or I was gonna do. And now (laughs) now I get to now I get to do the things that I used to lie about. I always say. So how'd you build it? Yeah. So 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 first, when you said how'd you build it, I'm one of the things um, a lot of people don't know. I'm kind of a a gear nerd, like a like a tech nerd. Like I like gear and shit. So Uh when you said how'd you build it, my first thought was. Well, I pieced together because back then they didn't have like, like right now. I use a road a Rodecaster Pro, which is a cool little podcast console uh, that I that I absolutely love. But they didn't have a Rodecaster Pro back yeah. then. So I mean, I was like taking a mixer and like a an old locker. I call it the locker room, like little Sony recorder, because I would see dudes in the locker rooms interviewing athletes using those back in the day. Uh-huh. And I like would wire it up to the mixer and then export it out through the console. That it was that that was one part of it, like trying to put together the actual hardware to produce the podcast, which was a fun part. Um, but building it, man, I you know, there's been times. Um, a lot of them where I just wanted to quit and just stop doing it yeah. <laughs> um, because like it would just, you know, I, it, I would set these expectations, I think like where, um, you know, I should be helping more people. Right? I, you know, why, you know, why this or why that? And, and what I've realized, man, is like number one consistency, just staying at whatever it is that we do. We got to stay consistent. We got to ride the, the lows with the highs. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things people ask me, like, well, how, how long do you think you'll do it? Or, you know, do you think you'll do it forever? It's like, as long as I'm having fun doing it, I will continue to do it. That's like my, my number one rule. But I also, I think it's grown very organically over time um, just because of the authentic nature of mm-hmm. it. Like, I don't put out bullshit. Like, I just want to have, I want to have fun. I want to talk about you know, the things that are related to helping dudes cut alcohol out of their lives. But 
just like you and I right now, we've talked a little baseball. We've talked different things. We're talking life stuff. And I think that's what makes it interesting and fun. Um, you know, we, 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 can, we can be sober. We can be drug-free. We can be alcohol-free. And we can still live life and have a great time doing it. And, and we can do all the things that we used to do without all that shit, those substances involved. We just have to reframe up how we live our lives and, and how we're doing things. And so it's a broad question, out. but how do you, how do you, how yeah. do you tell guys to reframe their lives? Cause you do, you do a couple of really cool things where you're kind of, you coach guys through like 30 days of sobriety, you know, like yeah. how do you help guys? By the way, that sober is the website. Everything you need is right there. But yeah, but how do you, how do you coach guys and, and help people? Yeah. So, um, we, yeah, we, we do have a, a program. It's called Quit Drinking Dude, the ultimate men's guide to quit drinking alcohol and stay sober for 30 days or more. Um, and, and that's really, um, it's, it's 30 podcasts in 30 days accompanied by some, um, some, some daily activities, some daily worksheets, and then a community of dudes in our local sober guy men's group to kind of help support along the way. Um, it's awesome. but you know, I, 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 I created this, this process called prayer p-r-a-y-r it's kind of an acronym and there's there's a couple components to it it's it starts with personal responsibility and ownership so we have to recognize that there's a problem we got to take ownership of it you know we have to admit and we got to let go you know and i've really um i've really dove in head first to acceptance in my recovery. I mean, that's such a huge part of it. And, and even radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Radical, yeah. My brother, Kevin, yeah. he's a sober dude. And he introduced me to that a couple years ago, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's such an awesome thing. And, um, and if anyone listening, you're going, what the hell is radical acceptance? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's the ability. And I, I, I have the, the, the definition of it. I like to keep it tight here. The ability to accept situations that are outside of your control without judging them, which in turn reduces the suffering that's caused by them. That's more of kind of a clinical definition of it. But in a, in a nutshell, we got to accept shit the way it is. Like as soon as, and you know, I should have said this sooner too. I have an amazing mentor and sponsor, buddy. Um, dude's taught me so much. We met through the podcast. He lives out in Georgia. We huh. meet every week. He's, yeah, it, it, it's just a crazy story on kind of how we how we came about and became friends and stuff. But um, he's he's taught me a lot about this shit too, about acceptance, about being like where I am is right where I'm supposed to be. Like I love if I feel lost, anxiety, I'm feeling strange, social anxiety. The, the greatest tip that actually Seth told me this one. He said, "Look at your feet, man, because God's got you right where you're supposed to be." And so it just helps reset me and just say, "Okay, I can accept and be in the moment." There's things I can't control. Um, I have to accept that alcohol creates adversity in my life, you know, and everything right now, whether it's low or whether it's high or good or bad, however I want to put it, it's just supposed to be like this right now. And I can do the next right thing to work my way out of this shit. You know, but yeah, take that's it. Patience. That's yeah, all because that's um, all we can do is just like, what's the, and, and there's a voice inside us as a guy who I know um, you know, comes around and he's a 12 step guy. And it's just like, there's a voice inside you, especially if you've been sober for a little bit, 
that's telling you to do the right yeah. thing. And, and, and he calls that okay. voice God, you know, and there's also the other shit, right? Maybe our first thought, that's, that's whatever we want to do. Um, but yeah, that there, I, I know, first thought wrong. yeah, first thought wrong, bro. Uh, but I know, I, I know w- like what the right thing is to do. I don't always do it. Um, but I know, yeah. I, you know, it's there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yep. the, it, this is, this whole thing's about action. I was, th- you know, I, <laughs> Marshawn Lynch, remember the, about that action boss, you know, like that. I always think, I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think about That's that great. a lot, right? And I've never actually told anybody that I just came to mind. Cause whenever I hear that, great. um, yeah. And, and there's a Macklemore song where, uh, he uses that quote and uh, it's just like, yeah, that's right. Like this, this program of action. Like I'm, I always think Marshawn Lynch would be great if he ever got sober. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but, but yeah, like it's about, yeah. it's about action. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, are you doing the next yeah. right thing? Or are you thinking about how you're getting motherfucked by this person that you don't want to accept right now? You know? Um, yeah, and that, I, that I appreciate you saying mentality. that. Yeah. That what mentality? Yeah. That victim mentality. That's what you know. That's what that reminds me of. Like, are we are we taking action and doing you know doing the right thing, or are we complaining and playing the victim role? You know, I played the victim role for a long time. It didn't work out too well. You know, um, you you reminded me too with the Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fired. I'm just here so I don't <laughs> get fired. <laughs> that guy's a that guy's a legend, man. <laughs> He is, man. He's a, he's a he's a Oakland dude, right? I think Berkeley. Yeah, he is. The Bay Area too. Yeah. So, but yeah. but, but you That's said great. one one thing you said that I love about the podcast um, is that it bridges the gap, uh, and I and I love that in recovery because there's like no there's a million different ways to do this thing. I have my way, yeah. you know what I mean? Like which I, which works for me and whatever, and, you know, it's day by day, but it works. And if I and if I want to work it, it works incredibly well. Um, but like other yeah. people have a different way of, of, of doing things, but like, wh- how do you spread your message out to all people in a sense where you, you, you do a really good job of coming across not judgmental. Um, and you, oh, thanks, you do, man. you do, you do a great job of bridging the gap. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think it's like a genuine, um, you know, want and, and, um, I don't know, desire. I don't know what the hell the, the right word is ne- necessarily, but like, I just, I just want to see people succeed. You know, if, if you truly want to cut alcohol out of your life and start there, like, I want to see you do that. Just like you said, Pete, like there's a million different ways to do it. I'm not going to sit and tell somebody like I did it like this and you need to do it the exact same way because that person is not me. You know, now I can share what's worked for me, and I can share what's worked for other people that I have, you know, had relationships with and, and built friendships with and um, that I've heard their stories and their experiences, of course. Um, but my, my job, I feel like, is to lay out as many different options and ways and experiences and thought-provoking um, ways to get people to think for themselves because you can't like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like right now, man, like, and this is one of the things that is, is struggled uh, that I've struggled with and I've gotten better with it in, in that radical acceptance piece we talked about. Like I get to help a lot of dudes, man. And yeah. I'm so grateful that I'm in a, that God's put me in this spot to be able to do that right now at this time in my life. There's one dude who I wish I could help and I can't help him. And it's my father. 
my, my dad's still out there. He's still out on the streets. He's still doing his thing. He's stuck in alcoholism. I've tried everything with him. He knows what I do, but I can't help him. And it's because he doesn't want the help. So I can't help somebody who doesn't want the help. And so me trying to tell somebody what to do, and don't get me wrong, like cause this could be, be confused. I understand that sometimes we work with people um, you know, in different programs and they need to be told exactly what to do. Like, when I first went to treatment, yeah. like I needed to be told exactly yeah. what the fuck to do. So yeah. I, and that's not what I'm saying. So I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Yeah. But on a larger scale, it's like somebody who's not ready, they might just have to go drink for a while longer until they figure it out on their own. And, and hopefully nothing bad happens in that process. But well, and there's nothing the we can do. Day, it's bigger than us. It's out of, it's, it's out of our control. We yeah. can't control it. And so beating myself up over it and getting pissed off because they didn't do what I wanted them to do or they didn't, that's just not my, it's not my path. You know, it's not my worry. Um, I can't carry that. I'm not designed to carry that because it's, it's impossible. Um, so I, I, I really like to take that approach. Like let's have some fun. Let's share what, what worked, what didn't work. Let's have some great conversations. And then let's just provide a shitload of resources and options so when people are ready, they can have, you know, the, the pick that they want to do. Whether it's, you know, whether it's a, a program, it's inpatient. We ha- we're partnered with a great, um, a great company out of Nashville called Promises Behavioral Health. They have a, a, a great, um, you know, working team there and facilities all over the place. So we have those connections. We have sober guys. Sober guys mentioned the 30-day course. We have tons of podcast content, uh, one-on-one coaching. Master, I'm part of an amazing mastermind group. I mean, there is all kinds of different programs too, from celebrate recovery, um, uh, refuge recovery, all the t- ma- major 12-step ones, of course, too. So I mean, I'm gonna do a Monday meeting on Clubhouse. There's so many different options. And I think I just I just love to keep it open like that yeah. and then just connect in with great dudes like you and, and your platform, man, um, just to help spread the message. And people will figure it out when they're ready. And if they're not ready, then they're not ready, you know? Yeah. And that's up to them. You know, it was up to me to make that decision to tell my wife that day, like, I need some help, you know? I, I, um, went, I went to this rehab. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, that, that was it. I mean, that, yeah. I was just going to say, like, we're, we have to make a decision, you know, and that, that's it. Well, you get you get me excited when I really like talking to somebody. I I, I keep jumping in. Uh, when I, I love it, man. I love it. When we uh, when I went to rehab, where I went, this place called Karen. There was a coin, um, and it was a quote from the guy Dick Karen who started it, and it said, "If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop drinking, <laughs> that's our business." You know, and that's uh, kind of like it. that's what you're describing, cool. right? Yeah, that's like that's like if you want to stop drinking, if you go to that sober guy. Um, that's soberguy.com, right? Like that is, yeah. that, that is a wealth of, of resources and knowledge and content. All right, before I let you go, I want to tell you how I found you. So I, I like get, get such a kick out of, like you, I was a little sports nerd. And uh, so and I grew up around the same time as you did. And I was like, I'd always, I'd read about Vance Johnson. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get his story. Mm. Like, is he really, cause you know, I saw the picture of him like in a coma um, and I was like, wait, oh, Vance yeah. Johnson? Because all I remember was Vance Johnson. I, I told him he looked like a dude that could have been in New Edition. You know, like that was a guy that I, I knew. He was like, a, he, this is yeah. like, right. And and so I Google Vance yeah. Johnson sobriety and your podcast comes up. And I was blown oh, away. Wow. I was blown away. And wow. then I just went down the rabbit hole 
um, and your stuff is good. You're authentic. Your 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 uh, your message and your energy it's just contagious. And uh, you know, oh, so I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate guys like you being out there for guys like me, and you know, for other dudes out there. Oh man, dude, Thank, Pete, thanks, bro. You just made my day, man. It's Friday, and you just made my day with that, dude. I just, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I really do love doing it. And Vance is, Vance is a great dude. I could reconnect with him, man. He's, he's got a great story. He does, amazing. and and the last time um, you talked to him was a little bit ago. And it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. but it's still out there. So if anybody wants to listen to it, you, yeah. you know, you can find it. Uh, last thing, anything yeah. else? Anything else you want to say? Anything else you you would you want to leave people with? Uh, people, yeah. people that are struggling. Yeah. So, um, well, so first thing real quick too, if you go to that silver one of the main questions I get from, from dudes who maybe are just kind of scratching around, they're like, man, and maybe, maybe it's not like they don't have like the problem that like you or I had Pete. maybe it's just like, they're kind of wondering like, hey, I, I want to take a break for a minute. I just want to yeah. see what that's like, you know? So I, one of the questions I get is like, well, how do I go to social gatherings and not drink? So like I put together my like top four tips, it's just a little infographic. It's nothing crazy, but just four tips. It's on that soberguy.com. There's a little little button there. You throw your email address in, hit the click button, and then it'll take you to the four tips. So check nice. that out. Like if you're interested, <laughs> I in like anybody, it. Um, you know, yeah. And um, just you know, I'd love to leave people with one thing: you're not alone. You're not alone. You know, I thought I was alone. For, well, let's say two things. You're not alone, and, and there's always hope, too. <laughs> because I felt like I was alone, you know, towards the end, and I felt hopeless, you know. But there was this inkling, this little tiny bit in my gut that I could feel God tugging on. And I, I could feel there was something more. So if you're feeling that, if you know that voice, like Pete, you said it earlier, there's a little voice in there, and we know what's right. I don't know what you call it, a conscience, whatever we call it. But you're not alone in this. And this this thing called alcoholism, drugs, alcohol, man, it wants to keep us suppressed. Alcohol, actually, if you look up the term al- alcohol, it's A-L-K-U-H-L. It's an Arabic term. And alcohol means um, body-eating spirit. And huh. it's been used as a tool to suppress consciousness. So when our consciousness is suppressed, our spirit can't thrive. It can't come alive. It can't find our full purpose in life because we're suppressed by alcohol. So it starts there. And that's, that's what I mean when I say we feel alone. It makes us feel alone. It suppresses us. So I just want you to know, man, like anyone listening, if you're struggling or maybe you've got a son or a brother or a father or someone who's struggling out there like, don't give up. There's a lot of there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of good people who um, you know who are willing to support and um, you know pray, meditate, um, you know keep listening to good podcasts like Pete's and uh, connecting. And uh, man, I just you know I, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and just have a great conversation. This has been a lot of fun today, man. Uh, thank you so much. And hey, we got to get you on Sober Guy too. So I don't know if I hang up when we're done. Or if um, maybe you can just text me or I'll text you and we'll, we'll set up a date to have you on. Yeah, it's just Shane Raymer. You are that sober guy. Uh, and, and you are authentic and I appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to wrap this up and then I'm going to talk to you right now. All right. Appreciate you, dude. Thanks, Pete. 
Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.